0: Welcome to the Military Child Education Coalition podcast, the show that highlights a wide range of challenges and triumphs that our military-connected kids experience. My name is Nikki Harrison and I'll be your host today. We'd like to say thank you to the support of the Offit Officer Spouses Club for this episode. And joining me today is Rebecca Parlakian, and we'll be discussing the development of those math skills in early childhood years. So I have Rebecca here with me today talking about supporting those early math skills, particularly in our young children. And Rebecca, I would love it if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the history of Zero to Three.
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having me. I'm Rebecca, and I am a Senior Director of Programs at Zero to Three, My background educationally is in early childhood special education, and my work at Zero to Three has really focused on parenting and child development resources over the last 20 years. And um, most recently, I've developed a series of videos and parent resources on how early math skills unfold from birth to five. And just this year, we released um, a free early math curriculum for children ages two and a half to four. And that curriculum is called Problem Solvers. And it is a ton of fun. And I think we'll be talking about it a little bit today. And then in terms of Zero to Three, I've been so fortunate to be part of the Zero to Three family for two decades, if you can believe it. Zero to Three as an organization has been around since 1977. We were founded by researchers who were some kind of some of the first and some of the most innovative at the time thinking about early human development. And they were some of the first to kind of say... There's something going on inside babies' brains. Um, And so they came together at Zero to Three to have a nonprofit that really focused on translating the science of human development into actionable strategies, child-rearing approaches, and policies that support young children, families, and the professionals who work with them.
0: That is fantastic. And two decades, 20 years. That's a, a long time. <laughs> it that's is. That's wonderful. What a, what a, I mean, you've probably seen so much growth and development within the organization and within education as well. So I love, I think that's fabulous actually. Thank you. So are there any early problem solving skills that could be introduced and are, are they in a certain order or can you start anywhere? Um, You know, is there a certain concept that you would begin first with that is maybe
1: a little bit easier for our young children? That's a really great question. You know, I think in our curriculum for early educators um, to implement these activities in the classroom, we recommend starting at counting skills, right? Because that gives children a good skills foundation, But we also tell early educators and parents as well to start where children are interested because if children are engaged and having fun, then they're learning. And the most important gift in early math we can give children in the early years is a love and curiosity of these concepts. So start where the curiosity and the interest is and the skills will follow. I like that you
0: talked about counting being an important early concept to start with and picking up on whatever that child's interest is. I think, I feel like even in um, literacy with reading, they always talk about kind of focus on what that child is interested in uh, and that really helps. So I think that's great that you're saying to focus there. So when we're talking about math language, what are some examples of math words or concepts that we
1: could use with toddlers that help them learn? I, I love that because math is language. It's how we describe the math that we see and encounter in the world. So I think there's different buckets of language. The first are the numeral words. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? Then there are words that describe calculations. I'm going to add an apple to our bag. I am going to take away one plate because I'm all done eating, right? So using add, subtract, take away, um, you know, all of those words. Then we can use comparison language that we might use in the subdomain of measurement. So longer shorter, heavier, lighter, hotter, colder, you know, tall, short, big, small, all of that language. And then there's a whole bucket of words that we might use to describe the attributes of different objects. So, for example, if we're sorting dinosaurs into two different piles, we might have dinosaurs that have spots and dinosaurs without spots. Brown dinosaurs and green dinosaurs. So We can use color words. We can use other descriptive words. When we're talking about shapes, we can introduce our child to words like corners, sides, curves, straight, Um, So this is the kind of thing we want to be thinking about through everyday routines. Where is the math? And what language can I use to make the math come alive for my child? So why do you think we should start with toddlers in regards
0: to the development of those math skills?
1: I know, right? I mean, it seems like toddler's job is, you know, just not to eat the furniture, right? I mean, so like, why are we talking about math? But actually, amazing things are going on in a toddler's brain. And we know that the learning that's happening in the toddler and preschool years is so fundamental, and it provides children with that strong foundation in early math concepts and in early math language so that when they enter kindergarten, they have sort of a stable set of skills and knowledge that they can then build on and add to across primary school. And the research actually bears this out, right? the research tells us that a child's math knowledge at skill entry is predictive of their school achievement all the way through fifth grade. And that math skills for preschoolers actually predict math skills in first grade, and that predicts math knowledge in fifth grade. So we really see this longitudinal impact of having a strong foundation in early math skills. So what we're doing in the toddler years, uh, at least in the curriculum that I co-authored, is using play as an entry point to build the vocabulary and the knowledge. And then we are slowly adding to that over time in age-appropriate, joyful, playful ways. And I think it's great that you highlighted play. I
0: think play is so important for our toddlers and that you talked about that we can do a lot of this introduction of these math skills in play when they're very young. And I just, I really love that. I also wanted to highlight that I think one of the things that I did really early on, um, at least with my boys, is we did a lot of puzzles. Uh, Mm, So I feel like from a really young age, I think puzzles, I mean, you can get puzzles for, you know, two-year-olds now. Yeah. Uh, and I always thought that that was a great kind of activity, too, that, if I'm correct, is spatial awareness, right? Absolutely.
1: Is, yeah. And you're guys. right. You know, there there are the puzzles with the inset pieces. Then you can kind of move to the five-piece puzzles, 10-piece puzzles. So It is. It's great. And I'm just going to brag for a minute. My daughter was loved puzzles. And now she is a mechanical engineer. So, wow, uh, yeah, who knows, but she, she did. She always really gravitated toward that kind of play. I love that. I love yeah, I love that. So there's hopes for 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 my boys who
0: also loved puzzles. So exactly, <laughs> I absolutely love that. So when you have young toddlers, it's sometimes really challenging to make activities fun and engaging, and also have them be um, helpful for their learning, right? Mm-hmm. For them developmentally. So could you give us some examples of any types of math activities that we could do that kind of hit all of those different categories for our toddlers?
1: Yeah, so I have a couple of ideas. So one idea is um, an activity where we are measuring something. So we could, for example, if we have a big, long piece of scrap paper or we're outside, you know, on a patio, we can measure them. And we can mark, you know, how tall they are on the ground while they lay there with um, chalk. Or we can, you know, lay their teddy bear down on a piece of paper and mark the head and the foot. And then we can pick something else out like, you know, a little toy, um, you know, barn animal like a cow and measure that on a piece of paper and kind of compare those two objects, right? So we can put the teddy bear down and the cow down. Which one is longer? Which one is shorter? Now let's do it on a piece of paper. And then we can, you know, use blocks that we might have in the house to make a line of blocks for how long the teddy bear is and a line of blocks for how long the toy cow is. And we can count and we can discover, wow, 10 blocks is more than five blocks wow so now we know that the teddy bear is longer than the toy cow so you know an activity like that we're making we're discovering measurement we're making comparisons and we're also using counting skills all in that one play activity the other example that i always like to give parents is making shared routines playful for children because you know what seems like a chore for us is still fun for our children. So for example, you know, I have to make dinner. And uh, that is definitely not the most fun moment of my day. (laughs) Um, In fact, I was just talking the other day to my best friend saying like, if I ever won the lottery, the first thing I would do is hire a chef. So I never would have to cook dinner again. But uh, you pull that stool up to the counter with you, right? And you know, you've cut up some, you know, carrots, and you can say to your child, let's see how many carrots we put on the plate. And so, you know, they put one on and you count them together. And all of a sudden, first of all, you're spending time together that you ordinarily may not have spent because they're in the other room watching TV or playing. Second of all, they're learning because they're practicing counting. And third of all, they're feeling like they're contributing to the family because when you're done with that activity, you can say, thank you so much for helping to make our family's dinner tonight. So again, I'm always trying to think about there's playtime and then we can also make our everyday interactions playful and learning moments. I love that you talked
0: about shared routines and I think if I won the lottery, just real quickly, since you were thinking about <laughs> that, mine would have mine would be to have someone um, clean. Particularly <laughs> oh, my bathrooms. Yeah. I'm not, I don't love to clean the bathrooms. <laughs> I think that's really funny. But when you were talking about the shared routines, and I and I really just had like a visual of my kids, my boys, when they were young, I used to bring them into the kitchen because I love to cook. I also love mm-hmm. math. So I always yeah. seem to kind of turn things into math. And I mm-hmm. used to have them you know, if I was making pasta, I would have him count out the number of like elbow macaroni on a cookie sheet, um, and have him kind of, you know, do things that way or, you know, introducing the measuring cups, right? Mm -hmm. With the fractions when they get a little bit older, if you're making breakfast or, you know, pancakes or something like that. So I love that you talked about really integrating the activities into shared routines that you do as a family. And
1: I also feel like working parents and all parents, you know, we have so much on our plates that it's really hard when people like me are like, well, you have to do a special math activity. I just want to be really clear, like you don't have to add anything to what you're doing. You just can tweak what you're already doing to discover the math. It doesn't necessarily have to happen
0: at home, right? Like you Mm -hmm. could incorporate some of these activities, maybe when you're grocery shopping or if, you, you know, your kids are involved in
1: sports or something yeah. you do as well, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the grocery store, for example, you know, that was such a good suggestion because there are so many moments in the grocery store where we're counting, like in the fruits and vegetables section, there's so many opportunities, for example, like going down the cereal aisle to talk about, you know, let's find all the boxes that have yellow on the front and so we're helping our children pay attention to attributes we can you know in the deli aisle we can say oh these slices of cheese are a circle and these slices of cheese are squares and we know that because squares have four straight sides and four corners you know so there are so many opportunities in the world around children to kind of point out and help them see the math in the world. So since we're talking about math activities,
0: how do you know if an activity is maybe a little too challenging for your child or maybe it's an activity that they breeze right through? Mm-hmm. Are there
1: are there signs, you know? Yeah. You know, I think parents are so concerned about this and we know that it's important to kind of meet a child at their skill level because if an activity is too easy, they aren't learning. And if it's too difficult, they have the potential of feeling overwhelmed and kind of give up, right? So I think the the best thing to do is kind of start with an activity and like accounting activity. So maybe accounting activity, you have five blocks out and you're kind of counting them with your child and what you notice is your child breezes through like you say counts to five and you kind of think to yourself oh okay so then maybe you would expand the quantity up to seven or ten and see what happens and you know we kind of are trying to reach that point in a child's learning where an activity is just challenging enough that they can master it, but not too challenging that they can't do it. Um, So that'll take a little bit of testing on your part. Now, let's say you did that activity of counting five blocks and you're trying to build a tower, cut the five blocks out, and you find that your child can only get to three successfully, counting to three. So then you might say to yourself, okay, So you might do a couple of things. You might reduce the quantity to three and make sure your child can consistently count to three before you expand. Or you can play with keeping it at five, but then suggesting that you count together and kind of model the sequence up to five. And over the next few days and weeks, maybe giving your child more practice through everyday routines of counting to five, and later to seven, then to 10. So that's kind of what I would do is just use those everyday interactions uh, to take the temperature of where your child's skills are and meet them where they're at. I think you're right. As parents, we're so
0: concerned about hitting those developmental milestones and stages that we see, you know, we're always looking, right? We're looking, 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 So I think that's Mm -hmm. great that you talked about that it's, you know, really, it's going to be okay. And we shouldn't always necessarily (laughs) be like scrutinizing everything that we see our kids do. So since we're still talking about activities and we live in a technological world, Mm -hmm. right, where we have access to so many gadgets and, Mm -hmm. and tablets and things like that. I wanted to ask you, do you feel that using more hands-on activities is a better way to introduce those math skills at this age versus kind of inundating them with all of these different types of electronics and uh, platforms and, and things like that?
1: Yeah, you know, so so many parents and media are asking that very question, and there are a lot of researchers out there testing to see what are the best ways for children to learn. But my friend and colleague, Dr. Rachel Barr at Georgetown University, has been studying this very question her entire career. And, you know, what she finds is that for our little ones, like, you know, birth to four, even birth to five, they learn more efficiently and more effectively in using the real world, like using 3D objects with a live human there to answer their questions. So learning in that way um, at that age is more effective in the real world. That said, um, that's because children have a really hard time at this age taking something they've learned from the screen and transferring it to the real world or taking something they've learned in the real world and transferring it to the screen. We call that the transfer deficit. What Dr. Barr has found is that we can reduce the transfer deficit. We can help children learn more effectively from screens when it's a high quality screen experience. So I really recommend parents do their research on choosing games and apps. You're pretty much always safe using games and apps from outlets like PBS because they use curriculum developers and child development specialists to help them design. But the other component in addition to quality is having an actual adult there, a a parent, a teacher, to help them make sense of what's happening on the screen to provide a little bit of coaching and guidance. And what the research shows is that when an adult is there to help make sense of the experience, children can and do learn from screens. So, you know, I think parents should just keep that in mind and know that even if children are playing on a screen, their job isn't over. Their job is to be the learning partner uh, with that screen experience. I like how you mentioned high quality screen time.
0: I'm going to, I think I'm going to use that um, instead of, you know, screen time that's maybe not as high quality. And it sounds like it really, could be a combination of both, right? That as parents, you can use some hands-on activities, but also use a combination of the electronics. Um, I will tell you that just real quickly, my youngest son, I've noticed, you know, the schools use a lot of tablets and, and laptops and things like that, and not so much pen and paper and it's, or pencil and paper. And it's amazing to me when I have to have him do, math on paper versus when he has to do math mm-hmm, on yes. a computer, the difference that I see in his computations
1: and things like that. It's so important to emphasize that mental math, even though we have calculators on our phones. I remember being a waitress many, many years ago and having to calculate change You know, in my head And I think since so many families don't touch cash anymore, our kids don't have a lot of opportunities to use mental math. So I think that for older kids, that's a real opportunity for parents to really talk out loud about the mental math that they're using as a model for older kids. That's great. I I love
0: that you said that too about (laughs) the the change. You are right. That's really, really (laughs) challenging. So I know we've talked about activities and I love that we've talked about all the different types of activities that you can do with your toddlers. And so I wanted to shift a little bit and talk about uh, parents. When we are, some of us are working professionals or we're volunteering or whatever it may be, and we're looking into those early education centers or early learning centers for our toddlers, are there specific questions or certain things that we should look for to ensure the activities that they're planning kind of fit those early problem-solving themes that we're really trying to, to lay the foundation for in our toddlers?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a uh, something that I think we don't consider enough when we look at a center. Um, and it really that comes down to kind of the interactions between the teachers, the early educators, and the students, and the children in the setting. It also comes down to the curriculum, so I think asking centers, you know, can you give me some examples of the kinds of activities that you do to spark children's thinking skills, or to spark children's STEM skills, and just hear what they say. But then remembering that early math skills are also built through everyday interactions. So, you know, asking questions about like teacher-child ratios, because that'll tell you a little bit about how much capacity teachers have to build relationships and have conversations with each child. And I think you can also ask centers about, you know, can you just tell me about your approach to early math learning. And if they talk about, you know, free play and exploring and giving children, you know, a mixture of free playing, exploring, plus some structured app activities for learning, that's kind of the, you know, best balance, I think. So I that would be my quick off the top of my head answer.
0: I think that's uh, great. And I, and I do think you're right. I think we Don't look at that enough as parents. Sometimes we're so, I mean, we're concerned about safety and security, obviously, with our kids when we're looking into those early childcare centers, but also uh, talking about the curriculum and mentioning that that's important as well. Because for some of our parents, our children may be in that center. From birth through you know preschool, yeah, a long time, Um, a really long time, where you want to make sure that they're receiving uh, you know some education as well in regards
1: to curriculum. So I think that's important. Yeah, and I think actually along those lines, I think one additional question: if your child is in a mixed age setting, like if you're in a classroom that covers ages three to five, you might ask a question like, you know, how how do learning activities look different for the three-year-olds in your classroom versus the five-year-olds? Because we know five-year-olds are capable of different skills and abilities than threes. So kind of asking how the teachers adapt activities based on the child's capabilities, I think would be an important insight in those settings. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for chatting
0: with me. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. I love math. I feel like you love math. So I think this is just fantastic for um, our parents and for um, educators as well that uh, are in this age range. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank Rebecca for her time today. I've so enjoyed our discussion And if you'd like to hear more from her on this topic, she will be at the Global Training Summit on July 25th as one of our distinguished lecturers. We'll be providing information and links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to leave us a comment on topics you'd like to hear more about. We'd like to give a special thanks again to the Offit Officer Spouses Club for supporting this episode. We hope you will, too, by giving today's show a five-star rating. I'm Nikki Harrison. Until next time, in a world where you can be anything, be kind.